Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National, presented by Alison Balance and Veronica Maduna. <laughs> The royal albatrosses that breed out at Tyroa Head at the end of the Otago Peninsula get a lot of attention, both from the Department of Conservation Rangers that look after them and a large number of enthusiastic visitors who come out to the headland for a rare chance of seeing some of the largest birds in the world. Now, one royal albatross chick in particular this year is getting even more attention than usual, as thousands of people follow its every move via a nest cam known affectionately as Royal Cam. Alison heads out to Tyroa Head to meet Doc's long-time Royal Albatross Ranger, Lyndon Perriman. I've spent over half my life out here now. There's quite a large part of the population that you know, I've helped raise since they were, they were chicks, and now, of course, they're back breeding and have, have chicks of their own. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty special place. It's quite a windless day, which is a bit unusual out here. Well, that's right. I mean, albatross have only been here for just on about 100 years. We don't really know why they came here, why they chose this place. It's really unusual for seabirds to go somewhere other than the place where they hatch themselves to try and establish um, a new breeding site. But albatross, uh, they're, they're big birds. They're a gliding bird, three-metre wingspan, so they do need the wind. So um, days like today, not a lot of activity with the adult albatross. There certainly won't be any activity with the, uh, the teenagers, the adolescents. It's just, it's just like too much hard work for them to come on on a day like today. But the parents, of course, have still got the chicks out here. The chicks are now about um, three, three-and-a-half months of age, so they need to be fed fairly regularly. So on days like today when there is not a lot of wind, the adults will just have to work a bit to do a bit of flapping uh, to actually get in here. Now we're looking out from the observatory out across a bit of the hillside and I can see one, two, three big fluffy chicks here. How many have you got here this summer? Uh, this season we've got 26 uh, chicks on the headland, so they're spread um, right over the, the entire outer part of, of Tyro Head. That's kind of about the sort of average numbers we're hitting now annually around that sort of um, mid, uh, mid-20s. We're fledging um, each season. So it's the colony, as I said, it started about 100 years ago with the first birds arriving. Population now is probably around about 250 birds in total. So it's an incredibly slow process building up an albatross population. They're long-lived birds, but they're very slow to reproduce. Um, and the, the parents of these chicks will basically just have one chick every two years if they're successful. So if they fail at the egg stage... That could be it for another season, uh, or if the chick was to, to die at this time of the year, then basically they've still got to take that next season off. The adults um, need to you know, replenish their, their body strength before they can come back in and try again. What's the survival rate of these chicks? Obviously, you've got a good survival rate where they're here in the colony, but once they leave and they go out to sea for, what is it, five, six, seven years, how many of them come back? What sort of proportion? For a bird that does put a lot of investment into the chick, I mean, the chick is here for the first eight months of its life. Um, once it fledges from here, it's on its own. So it's got to you know, not only learn how to fly very quickly, um, but also where to find food, how to catch it. And uh, it's on its own, basically uh, independent then of its parents. 
usually they, they come back around at sort of four years of age, but some of them sort of drag that out a bit. They can be as much as, as 10 before they, they turn up on here again. They've flown right around the southern hemisphere during that time. Uh, I haven't touched any other land until they get back here again. They actually have quite a good success rate. Around about sort of two-thirds of the chicks, maybe as much as uh, 75% of the chicks, will, um, will, will make it back again. How old is the oldest bird in the colony? Do you have any idea? So the oldest one we've ever had here was last seen here nearly 30 years ago. She became known as Grandma. So she was here right when the, that first bit of protection was happening. So that was a, um, a person called Richdale, who was um, a well-known uh, New Zealand ornithologist, realised that having albatross on a mainland anywhere is, is pretty special. So he came down here, um, and in his first season, he actually camped beside one of the pair of albatrosses just to protect it from... Um, dogs and people that were here at the time and, and was rewarded by seeing that first albatross chick leave here in 1938. He banded a bird then who was a breeding bird, so that bird would have been at least eight then, may have been a little bit older, last seen in 1989, so it made it just over 60 years of age. Currently our oldest one's 45, actually he's, he's a, a year older than me, so it's like uh, it's kind of nice that there's something a little bit older than me <laughs> as I'm wandering around out here on this headland. So their average lifespan is usually around that sort of 30-year mark, and we know that it basically takes a pair of albatross, they, they almost get to that average lifespan before they've just managed to replace themselves. So let's talk a bit about where these albatrosses go at sea. So the parents, when they've got the chicks here in the colony, they, they're heading out to go fishing. Where are they going? In the previous seasons, we have had some um, radio tracking devices attached to um, the adult albatross at this time of the year and the, some of the sort of feeding grounds are out towards the sort of the Chatham Islands out towards the Chatham Rise a round trip around about sort of you know getting close to about a thousand kilometers I guess by the time they've gone out they've spent a few days out at sea foraging these guys are feeding mostly on squid and any fish that get near the near the surface of the water one of the mysteries about uh, what they're doing out at sea is that this species of albatross here at Tarot Head is actually getting quite a lot of octopus in their diet and of course octopus are a, a species that live on the bottom of the ocean albatross are a species that feed on the surface um, so there's there's no real way that uh, as far as we know that those two are meeting but they obviously are and we know that because just prior to the chicks fledging they'll empty their stomach of things they haven't been able to digest some of them we've found may have as many as 40 or 50 octopus beaks in the in their stomach so you know mum or dad has caught at least 40 or 50 uh, octopus at some stage over those previous eight months uh, but it's just it's still a mystery as to just how they're actually uh, meeting up with with octopus so you've got a really good idea of what they're doing here on land not a clue what they're doing at exactly sea. yeah so for any albatross basically they spend about 80 percent of their life out at sea and where do they go when it's not the breeding season when they they don't have to come back and feed the chicks where do they head off to both the chicks and the adults head to the same place independently and basically they're heading across towards South America. So nearly 10 years ago now we put some um, um, satellite tags on, on three of the chicks here. One of them was uh, a bird that was named Toroa, and that was actually the 500th albatross chick to have hatched on this headland. And Toroa and a couple of friends uh, left here, and within about just over two weeks they were off the coast of, of Chile. So, uh, you know, that's it's quite a significant uh, patch of water to, to cross. And... As well as the visitors you're getting in here day by day, you've got a nest camera in place this year so that basically anyone around the world can 
log in and see what's going on. So tell me about that. Yeah, that's right. Of course, albatrosses are here for, for almost 12 months. So having a webcam now on one of the chicks, and it is one of the chicks actually in view of the observatory too, which makes it uh, quite special. It's got a fantastic view looking back up the harbour to Dunedin City. Um, it means that um, you know those people that once they've once they've been here, they can they can follow that chick through the eight months that it's here uh, until they actually, well, hopefully one day might see it uh, taking that first leap of faith as it as it flies off out into the into the southern oceans. Of course, there's there's masses of other people out here that you know to get to New Zealand is very difficult for them, but they can still interact with um, with the wildlife via looking at from home and and getting on the on the on the blog and asking questions and making comments. There's certainly been a lot of ownership taken of the of the chick, which has been uh, really neat to neat to see. And of course, it's it's giving people an insight into the kind of management that's involved in the job that we're doing out here of, of raising uh, these chicks. It's not that easy at times. Um, on Tuesdays, it's weighed weekly, and that chick has lost a bit of weight at times. So we've had to go out there and do some some supplementary feeding. So you know there's, that. Uh, can be a bit of concern about when it's dropped in, in weight. The, you know, the chicks are now seven odd kilograms each now. In fact, one was nine um, yesterday. The adults themselves are probably only around about five to six kgs. They're actually heavier than their parents now, uh, but they need they, they need that extra weight because a they've got a lot of growing of, of wings in particular. All the feathers have got to come through, so they're, they're covered in fluffy down at the moment. So the feather is just an extension of that of that down that will come through, starting to come through now to become more evident on the, the webcam check probably over the next few weeks and of course they're not getting fed daily so they they need to have that uh, reserve of of food on board uh, to be able to survive from one feed to the next at this time of the year if they get fed once every three days they're doing pretty well is the chick big enough yet to get up and wander off its nest does it sometimes disappear from shot it has done that occasionally and of course that's caused uh, a bit of concern when people have logged on for the first time of the day and, and can't see it and you know they've been looking at it for the last you know um, two or three months uh, so there's been a few concerning uh, comments about where's it gone is it all right but it's often just sitting actually right beside the camera but just just out of shot albatrosses tend to stay on the on the nest that they hatched for almost that entire eight months. And the reason for that is that although we're only looking at a very small population here now, there's actually a fourth chick that's just come into view now. In the big albatross populations, um, you know, that are really quite crowded, uh, the, the chicks can't move too far because they're going to get bitten by their, their neighbours. Or if they just go over the brow of the hill to see what's on the other side, you know, because mum and dad aren't coming in daily, uh, if mum and dad come in and that chick's not there, Potentially, they could think that their chick has perished. That's it for the season. Their job's done, um, and they'll head out to sea. So it really makes good sense, uh, good biological sense for that chick to stay put. And it's not really until that sort of uh, July, August, um, and early September period, just before the, you know when the chick is fully fledged, that it is starting to move around a bit. And you can almost see that that instinct, that drive of. I need to get out of here. I want to. I want to be able to fly and you know and start moving moving on. So they've got to do a little bit of uh, of practice, um, flapping the wings and standing up and and uh, just building up the wing muscles for that eventual um, first flight. Now, some of the management you have to do is to do with the fact that this is not like a subantarctic island. It's actually just covered in rank pasture grass, and it's quite a long way north, really, for an albatross in the scheme of things. So what kind of things do you have to do? Um, our main tasks are actually over that hatching period. So that's in 
late January through to, um, to late February. The chick can take up to a week from the time it's made the first tiny little hole in the shell until it's actually fully out of the shell. Right in the middle of our summer, of course, when it's, when it's the hottest that it's, that it's going to be here throughout the year. One of our main issues we've had, and particularly in the last maybe 25 years, has actually been an introduced fly that's getting to those hatching eggs as they're hatching, and there's one particular species that's laying live maggots. So it's not even laying eggs. The, the maggots are actually crawling as soon as they've been laid by the, by the fly. So the main issue, of course, with that is that you know if we don't remove those maggots, the maggots will eat some of the blood vessels that are still around the outside of the, of the chick. It hasn't drawn all those into the body cavity until it's completely ready to, to hatch. And it's infection. It's infection that those maggots will put into the bloodstream of the chick that will kill the chick. The chick might have enough strength to, to hatch, but then infection's gone through the body and it, and it will die. So we've, we had a lot of problems with that, particularly in the, in the mid to late 1990s. But we've, we seem to be on top of that now because what we will do over that hatching period is we'll come around in the morning and we'll make a decision then about what the day is going to be like. Is it going to be a good day for albatross? i.e. nice and cold, wet and overcast, or is it a good day for flies? Sunny, dry, warm. And if it's a good day for flies, then all the eggs that are hatching, we'll bundle them up, and we've got an incubator um, in one of the buildings here on, on Taroa Head that will just leave the eggs in there until very late in the evening, and by that stage the flies have gone to find somewhere to roost for the evening. They can't get to the eggs in the incubator. And at the nest we've given the, uh, the adult birds um, an artificial fibreglass Egg, so they're quite happy just to, to sit on that. And it doesn't matter if the adults are standing up because they're feeling the heat and the fiberglass eggs exposed. Late in the evening, of course, it's cooled down. The adults are ready to sit back down and snuggle in for the night, so they're giving their own egg back. So we'll do that on a daily basis. But once the chick is hatched, it's still vulnerable for the first three to four days, particularly around the umbilicus. So that's where the last little bit of yolk's been drawn into the belly button, I guess. And flies can still, you know, lay maggots and maggots can still crawl in there and still have the same outcome uh, with the death of the chick. So very regular checks of those chicks then and we'll try and mask the smell of that uh, newly hatched chick. So we've got things like peppermint essence uh, that we'll stick in a bit of cotton wool in a plastic tube and peg that into the nest in, in a few places. Albatross are certainly aware of that of that smell but it's only for a, a short term. It doesn't seem to affect the ability for the adult to feed his chick. Uh, but it certainly helps us in terms of masking that smell of, of that uh, newborn chick, and it helps to dramatically reduce the number of chicks that uh, uh, have got fly strike. So the other main issues we have out here, of course, we're, we're still attached to the rest of the South Island. So we have all the introduced mammals out here that everybody is aware of. The fence that's around here, uh, which was built in the 1970s, was here just to stop people and dogs from being able to get in. So stoats, ferrets and cats can still go either through it or over the, over the top of it. So we've got predator traps throughout the headland and they're operating 365 days there. But so this headland contains, in the summertime, up to 10,000 seabirds here. Albatross making up just 2% of that. Um, so there's a, there's a whole lot of penguins, shearwaters, a whole lot of variety of species of shags and, uh, and gulls. So it's... Um, it's, uh, it's a busy place. It, it really is. It's, and it's really remarkable. Like, um, it's, it's, it's what New Zealand would have been like before people arrived and before we brought all the introduced mammals it's what a lot of the coastal areas would have been like they're just absolutely chock-a-block full of seabirds. So you mentioned it gets really hot out here do you have to do anything for the adults? Yeah we do so if the sun's been out and beating down on the ground all day uh, that ground temperature does rocket up quite a lot um, in fact some of the places we've had uh, ground thermometers reaching getting 
close to 50 degrees Celsius. The only thing they can do is stand up to let a bit more air move around them. Um, they try and lose heat through either their feet or through their beak, and by doing a lot of panting, just exactly the same as what a dog will do. We've actually lost birds in the past from heat exhaustion. They've just got too hot. Um, they've gone past that heat stress stage, have got onto heat exhaustion, and have actually died. Um, so now what we have is uh, an irrigation system. So we have uh, a hose running to every nest on the, on the headland. That sprays cool water over, which obviously takes the temperature out of the ground. And if the adult is, is standing over a, a small chick at that stage, of course the chick's also feeling that heat. But if it's brooded by the adult, if the adult's sitting on it, then it keeps it at that sort of constant body temperature. So that's, that's where you want the chick's temperature to be at. Um, so by spraying them with uh, that cool water, instinctively makes the adult sit back down again. The adult cools down, the surrounding area cools down, and um, we're all happy for, the, for, the, for that day. So we might only use that half a dozen times uh, a year. Usually we only have to use it once or twice. And those times that we are using it, it's, it's the difference between life and death for, for that albatross. But because of the challenges out here, because of the, particularly the heat, which is not going to get any better as things warm up, these birds are always still going to need a bit of a helping hand. Ideally, what we want to get, we want to be able to get to a point in time where there's a self-sustaining population that we can reduce the level of management that we're doing out here. Uh, but there's still going to have to be some key things that we'll just have to keep on going. And predator control is certainly one of those. The heat is definitely going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's starting to become fairly obvious that that's going to be another one. So we're starting to think long term now about if we want to keep albatross here for the next, you know, if we want albatross here in another 100 years, what do we have to do now to start thinking about that, that sort of period? Out here at the moment, it's, um, it's mostly introduced grasses over the entire headland. On those hot days, or on days where um, there's not a lot of wind, and it might just be a warm, warmest day for us, then the ground temperature's raising. What little breeze there is coming off the sea just isn't enough to get through the, the, the thick, dense um, growth of grass and, and remove that heat out of the ground. So we're thinking that we probably have to go back to try and get it looking a bit more natural by using more native plants out here. And one of the, one of the plants that grows really well out here in the coastal environment is a, is a native ice plant. And that's one of the things that I'm very keen to see happen with the headland is, is basically re replacing the grass with the ice plant. A few other things too, some tussocks so that, you know, in the wintertime when, when it's blowing really cold, the chicks have got some shelter. Uh, but basically over that summer, we need, to, we need to start thinking about modifying the vegetation that's out here, getting it back to something a bit more natural. And that's what I think we're going to have to do to ensure that we get albatross through the, the summer months here in the, in the future is start planting that ice plant out now. Uh, kia ora koutou, I'm uh, Hwani Langsbury, Manager of Operations, Tyro Head. Kia ora, Sophie Barker, Marketing Manager for the Otago Peninsula Trust. So this is a pretty popular tourist place. Uh, yes, it is. We see between 70 and 80,000 people here a year. And year to date, from 1st of October through to now, we've seen about 33,000 go on tour. And the nest camera that they've got on one of the albatross chicks, is that generating lots of interest? Are you getting feedback about that? We spend quite a lot of time responding to people. Docs certainly do a great job talking to all the fans online, and we put lots of pictures on Facebook. People just love seeing what the albatross have got up to. And I think the webcam's teaching people how to love albatross. Previously, they've been you know, a huge bird with a great wingspan, but when they see the chicks and the love that the parents have for their chicks, I think it's really bringing an emotional response through, which is fantastic for the albatross.
And that was Sophie Barker and Juani Langsbury from the Otago Peninsula Trust, which manages the Albatross Visitor Centre at Tyrol Head. And before that, you heard from Department of Conservation Ranger Lyndon Perriman. Thanks for listening to this Outchanging World podcast. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter at RNZ underscore science. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, Adobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.